with you this evening. Well, open your Bibles tonight, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. We've had a lot of starts and stops in our study of this, but uh, uh, after the first of the year gets here, maybe we can proceed without, uh, without uh, that happening. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to look at the first 11 verses tonight, and this section has to do with the seasons of life. That's the title of the message, that's the subject of the verses, the seasons of life. Let me say just a few words before we begin reading. In this section, we're going to discover 14 pairs of contrasts that show us the extremes of life, from one extreme to the other. And you don't have to live very long to discover that, that things in this world are always changing. They never remain the same. And that's what we're reminded of in this section here. But before we look at them, I, I, I want to mention something that uh, I, I think is very important because I think there's a lot of confusion about the purpose for which these are given. Many, I believe, mistakenly assume that the main purpose of these contrasts is to remind us to do the right thing at the right time. Now, they can do that, and I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I don't think that's the primary purpose. I think the primary purpose of us looking at these contrasts here is to show us that God governs in the affairs of man. In other words, that His divine providence brings us into many different situations. Uh, these are things that, you know, that God does or that God requires from us. One writer said, I can't remember the name, but I liked what he said and I jotted it down, said, in short, whatever experience man at any given time has, before he terminates his pilgrimage, pilgrimage, he may almost confidently count on having the opposite. And whatever action he may at any season perform, another season will almost uh, certainly uh, arrive when he will do the reverse. So that means that simply this, that you're going to go from the mountaintop down into the valley at some point in time in life. As wonderful, as joyful as it is right now, uh, there's going to be a time when it's going to be just the opposite of that. Now, having said that, that's not to say that we cannot be reminded to do the right thing at the right time. Because you look at these things and it becomes very obvious. It serves as a reminder to do those things at the right time. But common sense tells us to do that. We really, you know, we don't need a declaration from God. I mean, common sense would tell us to do that. But if we keep everything here in context, which we always need to do, then this has to do with the providence of God bringing us from one situation to another. So we can expect this in our lives regardless of who we are. And so what we learn from all of this is that our happiness regardless of the season that we're in, depends upon a right relationship with God. In other words, when we cooperate with God's timing, we accept what God allows, uh, then, then life becomes meaningful. 
It's whenever we kick back, when we resist and when we resent what God's doing in our life, that's when, that's when everything begins to fall apart. Now, verse 1 is going to set the stage for everything that follows, and so uh, I want to make sure that we understand it. And uh, he says to everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Now, there are three key words in this verse. Notice the word season. That means a fixed, a definite portion of time. And then there's the word time. And as it's used here, it's talking about the beginning of a particular season. And then he notice he uses the word purpose. And that literally means delight or pleasure. And it came to be used by the old Hebrews in ancient times to mean business or a thing or a matter. And so for every matter, everything, every business, he says there is a proper time, there is a season, a definite portion of time uh, for everything that happens in our life. So in all of that, he's telling us expect change, expect change, because it's going to happen whether we like it or not. The various seasons of life, sometimes they're pleasurable, sometimes they're painful, but they're all going to come, and they never come by accident. Nothing happens by accident. God either appoints it or God allows it because everything that happens to us is not something that God would appoint for us because it's not something that God actually desires but in the big picture, God knowing the end from the beginning, God allows even these bad things to happen to us. Does that make sense to you? He doesn't appoint it, but he will allow it, you see. So knowing that to be a fact, then we can expect there to be trouble. We can expect there to be problems and pain and suffering. We can't escape it. But we can, by the grace of God and through the Word of God, we can learn to endure those things. And to endure them, we have to accept them. Now, this matter of accepting what God allows, and as you know, I harp on that quite a bit, and for good reason. Because, you know, if our problem is we recognize that God is a sovereign God and in the divine providence of God, he does not only what he wants to do, but he always does the right thing, and he does it at the right time. But we, we often don't want to accept that because, you know, his plan isn't our plan in our mind. For example, we'd rather have all sunshine and no rain, right? We want all joy and no pain. We'd like to eliminate the rain and the pain from our life, but... That would ruin us. I mean, nature itself depends not only on the sunshine, but also on the rain. So it's as though God is saying, look, I don't care what you want. I'm going to give you what you need instead of what you want. And that's true. And that's why I repeatedly say that God wants for us what we would want for ourselves. Were we as smart as God? And that's just the problem. We're not as smart as God. You know, but sometimes we act like it. Sometimes we know better what we need than God does, right? Sure we do. Every time we get all bent out of shape because things are not going our way, that's an evidence of the fact that we think our plan would be better than God's plan, and so we resent what He's doing. But since we cannot possibly understand 
why God does what He does because we can't see the future. We don't know what the big plan is. And because of that, then it is essential that we learn to trust God, believing that God's plan is superior to our plan, regardless of how we feel about it. We have to come to that crossroads where we decide, am I going to depend upon my feelings or am I going to depend upon what God is doing in my life and accept what He's doing knowing that He is the wiser by far. Now, verse 2, and we're going to begin to look at these 14 contrasts down through verse number 8. And here's the first one. They don't need a lot of comment, and I don't plan on keeping you long, but they're important that we look at them. He says there's a time to be born and a time to die. That refers to the first and to the final experiences of this present life. The very first, what, is the birth. And, of course, the final is there is a time to die. And it doesn't make any difference what you do. Uh, when your time to die comes, it's going to happen. Now, I believe with all my heart, based on what the Bible says, a man can die before his time. We can get out of the will of God and resist God's will and die before our time. But we can't die before the time that God has appointed for us upon this earth. So everything that he mentions by way of all of these other contrasts, 13 more of them, all of them take place between these two extremes here, a time to be born and a time to die. Now, when you think about uh, the birth, that's a mystery that we, you know, we, you know, we know some of the details naturally of how how it's brought about, but we can't possibly understand how life can come out of the womb. That seed of life, and that's beyond our understanding. And even as that is a mystery to us, so it is a mystery in that death comes at unknown times in our life. You know, we can plan for our death. We can buy a funeral plan naturally and life insurance and all of those things, so we're planning for that day when it's going to happen but we have no idea what day will be our last day upon this earth. So that behooves us to pay attention to these other things that he mentions. Verse 2, here's the second thing. There's a time to plant, and there's a time to pluck up that which is planted. Naturally, this is talking about seed time and harvest, and sowing and reaping, in other words, you know, no sensible person would expect to gather a harvest unless the seed has first been planted. You know, the farmer, could he could pray all he wants. Oh, dear God, we haven't had a good crop in years, and, and I, I, I'm just going to trust you with all of my heart. I'm not even going to make any effort, Lord. I'm just going to show you how much I trust you because I know you can do all things. Instead of getting out there and planting the seed, you know, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm, I'm just going to stay here and pray. You know, prayer is important. There's nothing any more important than prayer, but there are a lot of important things besides prayer. And so the farmer could pray all he wants to, but it doesn't do any good unless he plants the seed. There's a season to sow, and there's a season to reap. And successful farming requires us to do the right thing at the right time. You can't just go out and decide, well, 
you know, it's really not convenient for me at this time of the year, and I think I'm going to wait uh, until some other time to sow the seed. It'd be a whole lot more conducive to my welfare if I did that. No, you've got to go out there, and a good farmer knows when that time, when that season is. It's okay. It's time. It's time to sow the seed. I, I pastored over in Tennessee, and nearly all of our congregation was made up of farmers. I'm talking about those that they raised soybeans and cotton. That was the main two things over there. And when it got time of the year for them to sow or time for them to reap, those men that, I, you know, that were so faithful in church, they would never miss. But depending upon the weather, when the right time got there for them to do whatever they needed to do, whether it was sow or whether it was reap, they wasn't going to be there. And at the time of the harvest, you could plan all the revival meetings you want, but they were going to be out in the field. They were going to be harvesting the crop because they knew they had to do it then. So it's very important that we understand and that we cooperate with those seasons in life because it doesn't make any difference how much effort a person puts into it. It's all going to end in failure and frustration unless we cooperate with the seasons. Verse number three now, the third thing that he mentions. He says there's a time to kill and a time to heal. Now, since the subject of war is mentioned in verse number eight, it's very doubtful that this is making a reference to that. I think much more likely is the fact that this is talking about the execution of criminals and th those who, for the sake of, of, of a safe society, that have to be put to death. Now, maybe you don't believe in that, and uh, you can believe what you want, but I believe the Bible certainly teaches exactly that because we have, as unpleasant as that is, you know, as unpleasant as it is, we have an obligation to protect society. In fact, when you look back in the Old Testament, certain cities, for example, they not only were responsible for what happened in their city, they were responsible for a certain distance around the boundary of their city to take care of that to protect the people. And so there is a time for war. It's not something that we enjoy. It's something that is thrust upon us. And, you know, we, we don't want to go to war, but sometimes we have to. And then he says there's a time to heal. That's why we have doctors in hospitals. Thank God for doctors and hospitals. I mean, they are instruments. I, I said this morning, I believe all healing is divine healing, and I certainly believe that's true. But I also believe that God uses men and women that, that specialize in those fields to help us. And both of these extremes are necessary. It's a time to kill and a time to heal. Verse 4 or verse 3, the fourth thing that he mentions he says, a time to break down and a time to build up. Have you ever noticed that landmarks oftentimes end up in the landfill? I've seen that. Have you ever, I don't know, some of you folks were fortunate enough to be born and raised right here, and you all your life you've lived in the same community, and I've always thought, that would be so neat. That would be so wonderful to live in the community. That's why I like Norman Rockwell towns, the little small towns where everybody knows everybody. Oh, I, I, I just love that. I long for that. It would be so wonderful. But that hasn't been in God's plan for my life. I, 
You know, I, it's just not been there. And uh, so I've made occasionally trips back to the old hometown there in Springfield, Missouri. And, and uh, as Bev and I generally do when we're back there, we make the rounds of going, you know, to most of the houses where we live. The very first one, strangely enough, on Texas Street. A little dead-end street there. Yeah, who, who knew? On Texas Street. So that was our first house, a little red shotgun house that, I mean, consisted basically of three rooms, if you could call them that, and bug infested but boy that was home and and we loved the thought of having our first house there but you know you go back and you see those old landmarks you know maybe it was the drive-in where you the kids have no idea what I'm talking about used to buzz the drive-ins you know not just on Friday night but about every night when you got your driver's license all the teens out there we'd buzz around and around and around and you go back a few years later, that's gone. That's gone. And it's gone because they needed the land to build something else. So he says there's a time to break down and there's a time to build up. Things keep changing. Now keep in mind that Solomon was a builder himself. I mean, you know, he was a king, but he was a builder. He was, it seems like, constantly building something. I mean, it was one structure after another. So this is something that he is well aware of, and it's reminding that everything in life has significance, whether it seems to or not. It's a time to break down. Remember, uh, Jeremiah talked about that, that they had to tear down, and then you go to Ezekiel or, or to uh, Nehemiah and Ezra when they were challenged with rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and the first thing they had to do was get rid of all the rubble it was just in the way somebody you know could have said oh no no don't, don't mess with those those have become treasured landmarks now because those are the very stones that constituted the temple or whatever but they had to all be cleared out of there so that's the way life is it's always changing some things need to be destroyed so other better things can be built now he says in verse 4 this is the fifth contrast he says a time to weep and a time to laugh well he's already mentioned birth and death right and so they give us I think great examples of what he's talking about here uh, because the occasion for uh, weeping and the occasion for laughing is seen in both of these. We go to a funeral and, well, we weep, right? And we, we receive the announcement of someone, you know, that's going to give birth and we rejoice when a child is born. So when we view life from under the sun, we're delighted by the things that make us laugh but we have a tendency to despise the things that bring us to tears. But when we bring God into the picture, in other words, when we look at the big picture, when we look at things from the standpoint of eternity, all of a sudden we can find satisfaction even in those things that brought tears to our eyes. Now, that's a season we'd all like to avoid, right? We, we don't want anything to happen that's going to make us cry. We don't want anything to happen that's going to make us hurt. No. But again, 
whenever we get to that stage of spiritual maturity that we're able to understand that God's doing this or allowing this for a reason and in the grand scheme of things this is going to be for something better it's going to create something good and so God remember is the one that is that is sovereign and he decides on these matters now number six verse four again a time to mourn and a time to dance well when I first read that I think well that's what he just got through saying isn't it he said it's time to weep and time to laugh now he says a time to mourn and a time to dance and and, and so in looking at this I've tried to tried to understand what in the world does he mean by this I think in the first instance it has more to do with things that that are uh, our spontaneous response to whatever happens something happens that causes us to weep something then happens that causes us to laugh whereas when you talk about mourning and dancing that is more of a uh, of a formal expression of what we're feeling now I say that because especially in ancient times during the funerals they literally would hire mourners you know we hear of somebody that a loved one that has passed away we weep right but here it's talking about mourning it's talking about an extended period of time and that's the way it was in those ancient times there there is a, a occasion that causes us to mourn and one that causes us to celebrate and so whether you think about this matter of celebrating you know as a nation or uh, as a church or even as a family there are certain anniversaries certain events in our life that we celebrate it's a time to dance as he says he's not talking about the Watusi and the jitterbug and uh, and and all of those things he's uh, he's talking about a time to rejoice just as David danced as it were rejoicing and there is a time for that and that's why we try to remember you know our anniversary Sunday as a church and we have national celebrations and whatever there's a time to mourn it's important that we recognize those events in our life whether they bring tears or whether they bring laughter now number seven Verse number five, a time to cast, a, cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. Now, notice he didn't say a time to cast stones. He's not talking about throwing stones at people, I don't believe here at all, but to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. Being from the Ozarks, boy, I can really identify with this because before the the fields back in in the Ozarks could be used for crops, the rocks had to be removed. You had to get them up if you was going to if you was going to plow and you was going to plant. You had to get the rocks up first. So it was a time to remove those, cast the stones away, get rid of them. But but there was also a time to gather. You you didn't just you know let those things lay there and you didn't just put them over in a pile. And if you go back through the Ozarks, you'll find house after house after house built by fieldstone. And you'll find those rock fences back there everywhere. In other words, all of those things are put to use, to good use in some way or another instead of just being wasted. Now he says in verse 5, 
Number eight, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. I read that this afternoon, and the first thought that came to my mind is COVID. There's a time to embrace. This church is known for being so very friendly, and as a, that's one of the things that make me so proud of this church. And there's a time, you know, to embrace, but there's a time to refrain from it. Boy, I, I could say so much about this, uh, this matter that, uh, well, it would end up getting me in trouble, but sometimes I feel like maybe I ought to just go ahead and get me in trouble and say it anyway. But let me tell you, and that's why I keep using the word to show respect for one another. And, and I mentioned, uh, Bev and I was talking about this just this week. If I was out there mingling with you all, uh, I would, I would, I'll be honest with you, I'd have a mask on. Not so much because I am fearful of it myself or anything, but I want to respect those that I come in contact with. Being up here, I'm not going to put it on and take it off, put it on and take it off. That's one reason, as much as it hurts me, whether you believe that or not, to, after the service to get out here. I come in late, I leave early, I get out of here simply because I, I just don't, it's hard when somebody comes up and puts their hands out to shake hands or somebody wants to hug you and you say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that right now. That, that It just tears my heart out and yet I feel very strongly that that's the approach I need to take. I, I, I don't want anyone thinking that I am so disrespectful that I would... Uh, would hurt them intentionally uh, or that I'm so disrespectful that I wouldn't wouldn't in some way show show respect for them by wearing a mask if I know let me tell you we've got folks right now that are so frightened of this whole situation that right now that they're they're not attending they watch you know online but they're they're not attending and I'm just going to be blunt about it. I'm going to tell you one reason why. Because they tried it for a while. They thought, okay, I'll, I'll stay separated and so forth. And, uh, and it, it's hard to criticize people that mean well. But there are people that have violated nearly every standard of, of caution in this regards. And it frightened them to the extent that they're not coming back till it's over evidently. And, and, and that's tragic. That is so very sad that we live in a day like that. But that being said, he's not talking about COVID. But COVID does make a point. I mean, there is a point here. There is a time to embrace. But there are other situations where it is inappropriate. I remember when I moved down here as the pastor over in the other building. The very first thing that, uh, that I did basically was to have them to put a window in my office door because I refused to be in there with a member of the opposite sex and the door shut where people can't look in and and be able to see what's going on it's dangerous and I try to be extremely careful about members of the opposite sex and and, and there's a time to embrace and by the way I'll say this there, it doesn't say it in the Bible here, but there is a proper manner in which to embrace. Am I making sense? Because I'm going to tell you, 
I've seen in Baptist churches things from men that were extremely improper. And had it been with my wife, they'd have probably got a lecture after it was over. We've had, listen, I can, I, I can tell you instances where people quit coming to church because of one knothead person that did not demonstrate good taste in this regards. And that's so very sad. There's a time to embrace, but there's a time to refrain from embracing. I'll, I'll go on. Verse 6. Number 9. A time to get and a time to lose. You know, if you are a business owner, large or small, doesn't make it a difference. This is something you need to remember. There's a time to get because you can't do business if you don't get. There's got to be gain. You've got to have profit or you can't stay in business. But he says, and there's a time to lose. No business can expect it to be all gain. Or they cannot expect it to be all losses. There are expenses as well as there are profits. And the same thing is true in our life. There are going to be times that we get. There are going to be times that we lose. We get in that a baby is born into the family. We, we get something that we didn't have before, but there's a time to lose because there's a time to die. And then he says there's a time to keep and a time to cast away. That could refer to a lot of different things. It could have to do with saving and giving. The time to keep, you know, store up, save for the future. But there's a time to cast away. That is the time to, uh, to give it to someone else. Time for future and then time to discard. Verse 7 Number 11, a time to rend, that is tear, and a time to sow. To really get the picture here, we have to think back to ancient times because the tearing of the garment was a sign of grief to those people. And you read about it many times in the Bible where during periods of great grief, they literally would tear their, their garments. And by the way, the Jews had detailed laws governing the, the, the practice and stating the, how, how long the tear could be. Uh, you know, you, I, I don't remember what it is or anything, but, uh, you know, you couldn't tear the garment completely in two, but it was proper, you know, to tear it down, let's say, six or eight inches or whatever, but uh, it was something that, uh, that was not only permitted, but some, something that was expected. But he says, and there's also a time to mend, and so that has, that has the idea of not just tearing up things, but mending those things. And maybe that, maybe that relates to the mending of old clothes. I don't know. I think about my mother, and she never wasted anything in her life. When she died, she had, oh, my land, she had jar after jar after jar of buttons. Because if a garment wore out to where it couldn't be patched or couldn't be repaired to where it was usable, and she'd patch up everything under the sun. But finally when the day came, I can't use this anymore, she'd cut off all the buttons and put them in a jar. She, she did not waste anything. And so, uh, you know, there's a, a time to tear things up, and there's a time to, uh-oh, <laughs> Somebody else got a button jar back there? Okay. 
All right, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, verse 7, number 12. Now, uh, there's a time to keep silence. I'm still trying to learn that one. And a time to speak. Oh, there's so many different examples of that that we could think about tonight. But, uh, you know, it's a sad thing that some never learn to do what, what, when. They always get it at the wrong thing at the wrong time. And there's a time, you know, to really give helpful advice. And, uh, but we don't have to give our opinion on everything. I was talking about my mother, and bless her heart, I loved her dearly, and she loved me. But uh, she was one of these who was a bit philosophical, you know. She had to, oh, my Lord, didn't make any difference what the subject was. She had to wax eloquent on it, you know, and give you her two cents about it and just make you want to pull your hair out. And so, you know, there's, there's a time to be silent. I, I think back over the years, and one, especially one occasion where there'd been a death in the family, and I'm telling you, I, I was there as the pastor, the pastor to the family. Uh, I won't give any details because somebody might identify with it. One member of the family decided that they were going to take over right there in the hospital and and have a Bible study there in the prayer. We'd just all been in the room where the doctor comes in. Well, it's over. He's gone. And boy, one of the one of the family members decides, let's break out the Bible. And we went through the book of Job. And I thought, you idiot. This is no time for you to try to demonstrate how much you know about the Bible. This is a time to give them a hug and a time to offer a prayer and let them know you're there and you care and, and, and stop that nonsense. There, there's a proper time for us to speak and, and, you know, sometimes the best thing we can say is nothing. There's a time for silence. Amen. Verse number 8 and item 13 a time to love and a time to hate. Wow, we look at that and we say, how can that be? Because we're to love even our enemies. Where's the hate come in? There's a time for us to hate. That's what it says. What are we supposed to hate? We're supposed to hate sin. God hates sin. We ought to hate sin, but we all love the sinner. Know how some people seem to get that mixed up because if someone is a grievous sinner, I, they, they wouldn't come out and say, I hate them, but they treat them just as though they really do hate them. It's the time to hate. Hate sin, love the sinner. Now, verse 8, number 14, the last one on our list, the time of war and a time of peace. The Papists, of course, they, you know, they'd have us to believe there's never a time for war. I mean, that's what they want you to think. That's what they believe. That's what they declare. But they're wrong. As unpleasant as war is, sometimes it's necessary because, as I said earlier, we have an obligation to protect our families. We have an obligation to assist those that are oppressed and those that are persecuted. And over the years, America has been given a bad rap by by supposedly interfering with other nations, you know, helping them out during the time of war. What are we supposed to do? Set back and let some superior power go in there and murder all of those people? 
I thank God I live in a nation that is concerned enough about those kind of people that are oppressed that we'll rise up against such oppression and assist them in their time of need. Verse 9. Now this brings about this brings about a question that is often asked in different ways. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? Now he's just given us 14 positives and 14 negatives. And in his mind, which looks at everything from under the sun, those just cancel out each other. There's life and there's death. It just cancels it out. So his conclusion is all of it adds up to nothing. Get the positive and the negative, it all adds up to nothing. Now, that's the way he's thinking. So he concludes here by saying, we're not gaining anything by our labor. Verse 10, I've seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. Now, what he's saying here is, I am an eyewitness to the fact that none of man's works can satisfy But he doesn't stop there. Notice he goes on and he gives us now some important information. Verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Now we think about the mess that we're in today. And that that doesn't even seem possible. But this is going all the way back to the original creation. That he made everything beautiful in his time. This word everything here is referring to all of the things that he has been speaking about. Including travail that he mentioned in verse number 10 here. And the idea is that all of those things is appropriate and they're useful to us. Even though though when we view them from under the sun, they don't seem to be. Romans 8, 28, that's exactly the point here. All things, the good and the bad, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord or the called according to his purpose. Verse 11, also he hath set in the world, he has set the world in our heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. That particular Hebrew word there, translated world, means the hidden. In, in other words, it's speaking about the unknown. Uh, the scholars tell us that it is equivalent to the word eternity. And the idea here is that God has put the notion or the idea of eternity in our hearts. I, I think that's why there's a universal interest in things that lie, you know, beyond the grave, things that are beyond the realm of time. Regardless of where you go in this world, there are people that suspect that uh, there's something out there beyond the grave. And they worship something that might be foreign from what the Bible teaches, but uh, there's something there that they just sense. You know, you can take an animal and, you can feed an animal and, and pamper an animal and you can make the animal content. That old hound dog will just lay there, his belly is full, doesn't have any need of anything. But you can't do that with man. Because regardless of what man has in this life, 
there, there is a, something restless in his heart. And this is what Solomon is going through. And that's why he's looking at everything from under the sun and seeking satisfaction, and he can't find it anywhere. He's saying, I've tried everything, and I just can't find it. One of the ancient writers, Augustine, said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they learn to rest in thee. Oh, how true that is. Makes no difference what you do or what you have in this world until you come to rest all of your hopes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You're never going to be satisfied in life. You know, there's just a, a longing for home within the heart of all of us. And, and, and we know in some way or another that that that, that home place is something that the world can't provide, something beyond this world. Amen. And then we end with the second part of verse 11 here. So that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. That's what I tried to get across this morning and so often is the fact that we can't even begin to fathom the depths of God's eternal plan. We can't possibly answer all of those why questions. We, we don't know. We cannot know because we can't see into the future. And, the, you know, the thing about it is our increase of knowledge simply has a way of increasing the depths of our wonder and our delight, and it ends up making us all the more curious. That's what, you know, in other words, getting an, one answer to a, a particular question sometimes can open the door to a dozen other questions because all of a sudden we learn something that we didn't know and that, that just opens up a door and floods our mind with all of these other questions. Well, he says, no man can find out the work that God maketh. In other words, what God's doing from the beginning to the end. We, we can't understand that. We can see what's going on in the present. But we don't really know what led up to it, and we sure don't know how it all is all going to end. But God does, and that's why it's so very crucial that we trust Him. And it's in the trusting of the Lord that we that finally we're... We're satisfied because we know God knows best and he'll always do what is right and he's faithful to keep his word. I hope something in this lesson tonight has been an encouragement to you and that maybe you'll go home and think about the seasons of life and how that God is active in all of them and uses them all for some purpose that right now we don't understand but someday we'll learn to appreciate. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about God's wonderful plan beginning in verse number 12. Let's